So we are in the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew today, and this is the third week in our newest series. Uh, so in the first month of October, we went through a series called Welcome to Cornerstone, in which we talked about our vision and our mission. And now we're going through the Cornerstone Core, which talks about our core values. So the first week we talked about the community, the second week we talked about Bible, and this week we are talking about prayer. And every single one of our core values has kind of a line that sums up the heart of that core value. Uh, and this one is, we invite God to work in our lives, church, and town. So that's how we would describe it. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get started to hear from the message. Dear Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to learn about prayer. Uh, it's always challenging to study uh, something that you call us to do so regularly. So I pray that you would convict us, teach us, uh, and equip us. Help us to pray more. Help us to pray better. Help us to pray as you would have us pray, God. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, it's getting a little colder outside. I don't know if any of you noticed that. Uh, maybe you've uh, kind of realized this as you've gotten your mail and you've received your utility bills uh, or you've gotten your National Grid Energy Report. I have gotten those, and they have the different categories. They have the efficient neighbors, they have uh, all neighbors, and then there's you. And maybe you fall in the, uh, you know, the middle category. You're kind of better than the rest of your neighbors, but you're not quite as good as your efficient neighbors. And really, who are the efficient neighbors? <laughs> I was comparing with one of my neighbors. We sent each other text messages uh, with a picture of our reports. Neither of us were the efficient ones. Why is that? I don't know. Now, many of us use kind of power because we have different needs. So maybe you have a big family, so you need a lot of electricity or oil, propane, whatever your power source is. Or maybe your house just lacks insulation, so you need to deal with that. Or I know there's several of you that have so many Apple products that uh, your, your bill is going up and up. Now, what if you had access to all the power in the world? So you had unlimited propane, natural gas, oil, whatever it is, if you could have as much as you want and not pay a dime, would you take advantage of it? Would this be something you would use? Now, we as believers in Jesus, as followers of Christ, have access to unlimited power. See, uh, our houses connect to the power line. The power line connects to the grid, to the power station, and that's how our houses get power. But we connect to God. We connect to the Lord of the universe who has created everything, created electricity, created uh, this world, and we do that through prayer. Prayer is kind of our power line to the power station who is God himself. And so it's important to ask, how do we pray? How do we get connected to this source? Now, prayer, simply defined, maybe some of you are kind of unfamiliar with the concept of prayer. Simply defined is talking with God. Prayer is talking with God. And if we are given this incredible ability to talk with God, how should we use it? How should we access the Lord of the universe. 
Well, Matthew chapter 5, uh, chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, teach us that as we approach God, we don't approach God outwardly. We don't approach, we don't pray outwardly, we pray inwardly. Now, let me explain what that means. We don't pray outwardly to impress others. Verse 5 says this, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand uh, to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So we don't pray outwardly to impress other people. Now, Jesus in this passage is preaching his most famous sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he is addressing the crowd. So there is a great multitude of people that are present. He's also addressing his disciples, the followers of Jesus. And there are also religious leaders. There's Pharisees and Sadducees, which were kind of their, their religious politicians of the day. And Jesus is addressing all of these people because he knows some of them are prone to uh, kind of using religion to build themselves up. See, in the public uh, worship services, they, they had the synagogue worship service, which was for the Jewish people. Uh, there was a time of public prayer. And this passage is not saying that it's wrong to pray publicly. Uh, we've done it multiple times in this service. Instead, it's saying don't pray publicly in order to be seen by others. Don't act spiritual in order to impress other people. And then it also says, don't pray on the street corners to be seen by people. So what's this? Uh, in, in that culture, they actually, there was actually um, prayers in the evening, in the morning, and the noon. Uh, and these were kind of like, if, you know, if Islam has multiple prayers a day, there was the same concept. There was multiple prayers throughout the day. And if you knew that you had to get to the temple or the synagogue to pray these prayers at, say, 3 p.m., uh, you could maybe lag behind in the marketplace. And when 3 p.m. came around, you could kind of say, oh, well, I have to pray. I'm going to pray in the marketplace so others can be impressed by me and my religiosity. Now, I'm sure none of you have ever acted more spiritual in order to impress others. I know I have. But Jesus warns against it. In the passage right before ours, he says, he says this. It's about the topic of giving. Same principle. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. And then there's a passage following the Lord's Prayer, the end of chapter 6, uh, where Jesus is talking about fasting. Fasting is uh, denying yourself of like food or some other uh, thing so that you can focus on God. He says this, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to, be sh to show others they are fasting. See, whenever we do kind of spirituality, whenever we pray or do a religious thing in order to impress others, we're missing the entire point. We become what Jesus labels as hypocrites. Uh, a hypocrite is an actor, someone who, who portrays something that is not true to who they are. And this hypocrite exactly is, is trying to please the crowds instead of pleasing God. And notice that when we approach God the wrong way, the, the reward kind of matches the quality of the prayer. See, the reward for praying publicly in order to impress others is just the praise of others. That's not a very lasting or good reward. 
The reward of drawing into God's presence, seeking God, wanting to know God, the reward is much greater. God himself. Now, I once pretended to really like a golden retriever in order to impress a girl. Now, I was at a house, there was a dog, she was watching, and I just like petted the dog. I looked into the the, the dog's eyes. I treated the dog so well because I thought, oh, this girl will see my sensitive side and be impressed with who I am. Little did she know I'm actually allergic to dogs. Our relationship lasted two months. When we act spiritual, but aren't really, we're building a weak relationship with God but also with each other because our brothers and sisters who think that you're someone they can turn to in prayer, really, you can't pray on their behalf because you don't know how because it's been about you instead of about God. We don't pray outwardly. We pray inwardly. Also, verse 7 tells us that we don't pray outwardly to control God. So we talked about impressing others. We also don't pray to control God. Verse 7 says this, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. So what is this word pagans? It's really referring to the non-Jews. Uh, so the, the Gentiles. So Jesus is kind of speaking to the whole culture here. He's, first, he's speaking to those that are really interested in religious things and saying, well, don't, don't just act religious. And then he's speaking to those people that don't understand really ha- who God is. Those people that try to control God with their many words, with their babblings. The, the, the King James calls it vain repetitions, uh, meaningless repetitions. So th- that culture... Uh, And also you can see it in the Old Testament where there was this idea that the foreign cultures, they didn't know how to approach God. And so they they uh, they tried to approach God with uh, uh, impressive displays of how God might be impressed with them. And if they did this, this, and this, prayed this, that, this, and that, God would do what they wanted. So an Old Testament example of this is the story of Elijah and the priests of Baal. Maybe some of you have heard that story. The story is about a prophet of God in the Old Testament who challenged the false prophets of Baal, of the local culture, uh, to kind of this, uh, this prayer duel in one way. And they went up to Mount Carmel, and, uh, and Elijah said, you know, do your thing, make your sacrifices, make your offerings to God, and pray, and we'll see if your God answers or if my God answers. And so the priests of Baal, uh, from morning till noon, dance around, chant, they pray, uh, they, they begin to slash themselves and to whip themselves into a frenzy, and nothing happens. And then Elijah says, all right, let me speak to my God. And he does it God's way. He prepares the offering God's way. And then he prays to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And fire comes down from heaven. See, we believe in a God that cannot be controlled. We believe in a God who is actually dangerous. Because he is the source of all power, of everything. Maybe some of you feel as if you need to be praying, that you need to be accessing this God. And when you hear, uh, you know, don't don't, uh, give in to meaningless repetition, you say, okay, well, maybe I don't have to pray that often. 
Well, Jesus actually uh, gave us examples of times where he would go off and he would pray. And he would spend hours and hours with God. There's one, a couple instances where it says he prayed all night. God himself says, you know, to keep knocking on my door. Keep bugging me with your prayer requests over and over and over again. See, it's good to spend time in prayer. It's not a bad thing. But if we somehow begin to view prayer as this time in which if we put in a certain amount of time, if we kind of do our prayer card, our, our hours for the week in prayer, and God will give us certain things, then we're really trying to control God again. And that's not what we want. We don't want to control God. He won't be controlled by us. He doesn't owe us anything, no matter how beautiful our prayers. See, God is more interested in the quality of our prayers than the quantity of our prayers. We don't pray outwardly. We pray inwardly. So what does this mean to pray inwardly? Well, when we pray quietly, we show God that we know him, that we we want to know him, and also that we trust him. Verses 6 and verses 8 say this. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And verse 8 says, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So he's given the two examples from the culture, kind of the, the, the religious prayer and the, the, prayer, the, the desperate prayer. And Jesus is saying, don't pray like either of these people. Pray in a way that I want you to pray. Pray quietly. Pray as one who trusts me. He says, go into your room. A better way of saying this is your inner room, the storeroom. The houses in that culture had really one door, uh, one room inside the home that had a door. And that was the storeroom where they would put their food. And this door had a lock. See, Jesus is saying, go where someone, where no one can see you but me, where it's a private thing, where it's a quiet thing. That way you can't manipulate your circumstances. If you pray in front of someone who's wealthy and, you know, you pray for $1,000, like they can't answer your prayer. If your prayer gets answered, it is entirely me who is answering your prayer. And that's why it's okay to pray inside your heart, pray inside your mind. Pray quietly because God listens to our prayers. See, when we pray to impress others or we kind of do this fake spirituality, the reward is impersonal. Maybe we have the accolade of others, but the reward is ultimately unsatisfying and temporal. But when we pray as Christ calls us to pray, depending entirely on God, trusting God, The reward is everlasting. The reward is relational. It's personal and it's eternal. It's also very, very satisfying to know that the God who is over everything can answer the prayers of someone like you and me. This leads us into our next point, that the reward of prayer is really God himself. See, we don't pray impersonally. We pray relationally. We're looking at verses 9 through 11, where it really teaches us that in prayer we approach God as our Father. Verse 9 says this, This then is how you should pray. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So we kind of talked with like how not to pray. So I hope none of you that maybe are new to prayer don't get scared of praying. Please don't walk away from this scared. Uh, because Jesus says, all right, don't pray this way. Pray this way. This is the right way, by addressing God as our Father. The Lord's Prayer is really a kind of a prayer guide. It's not a strict, like, here's the only way you can pray. It's not a, a template that says this is the only thing you can do. It's really, it's a guide. You can, it's a beginning point. So if many of you have prayed the Lord's Prayer and you know uh, the ending, uh, you know, for that is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. Well, when we read this passage, it's not there. But Jesus didn't give us this prayer as a strict, you can only pray this way. It's, it's perfectly fine to kind of add in that ending doxology to the prayer. That, that's a good thing. Now notice how this, this prayer begins. He says, our Father. So we're addressing God as our Father, but we're doing it together. Sometimes we, we view praying as like this individual thing. It's just me and it's just God. But if you look at the Lord's Prayer, uh, all of the references to, are to, to you, uh, to, are to us. It's, it's corporate. This is how we, as a church, can pray. You can take the principles and apply them to your life. But first and foremost, it's a reminder for us as the church, as those that follow Jesus, to pray together. So it's wonderful when we do get to pray together. Notice that Jesus teaches people to address God as our Father who art in heaven. I think that's so interesting because it's really, he's acknowledging that God, that this God that we can address is the Lord of the universe. He is our God in heaven, who's over everything. Who, the Psalms refer to the universe as the footstool of God. And how can we address this God who's over everything? We can address him as our Father. That is incredible. That is truly amazing that we can have a personal relationship with the Lord of the universe who loves us. We approach God as a child. And it says, hallowed be your name. This is just a way of saying, holy be your name, God. See, God is holy. And he is righteous and he's pure. And so how do we approach God the right way? As children, when you, when you approach God as a child, you actually hallow his name. You holy his name by approaching him this way. See, a child both loves their father and fears their father. Maybe some of you uh, have kids. Uh, Monica and I don't have kids yet, uh, but I wasn't a kid too long ago, so I do remember that stage of life. And you have children who who, you know, when you get home from work, they, they run up to you, they greet you, they give you a hug, they say, you know, so glad you're home. Maybe they yell your name. Uh, your children, they, they depend on you. They, they trust in you. And this is how we are to approach God as those that are entirely dependent on him. My old youth pastor, uh, he used to share kind of his relationship with his dad and he said that, you know, he would run in and sit on his father's lap and give him a kiss. And this is like when he got home from college, when he was about 18, which just blows my mind. Like, I wish I had the, kind of that intimate relationship with my dad. I, I try to sneak my arm over my dad when we're sitting next to each other on the couch. 
even though we're adults, we can approach God as our Father. And that's sometimes challenging to remember, that we can approach him completely dependent. As, as adults, we're kind of trained to be independent. And yet God says, no, come to me as someone who, who needs me, who, who wants to know me, who's, who's joyful, who's excited to see me. Maybe some of you perhaps don't have good fathers. You, you weren't raised in a, in a home where uh, you had a kind of a happy home. Well, God provides that perfect fatherhood for you. He says, you know, you, you don't need that person. I will be that person for you. When we pray, we can approach God as our father. Verse 10 tells us that we also approach him and we submit to his plans. Verse 10 says this, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. See, here we're praying, we're praying that God's plan would take place no matter what. So when you pray, when you go and you talk to God, not only do you come in and you address him personally, relationally, but you also say, God, ultimately I'm asking for different things or I'm praying these different requests, but ultimately I want your will to be done. I want to submit I want to yield to your authority. That's kind of a challenging thing in our culture that loves independence. And how do I know this verse is saying that? Because it's saying, your kingdom come. This idea of God's kingdom coming is an encouraging thing, but it's also a challenging thing in Scripture because uh, the kingdom ultimately comes when Christ Jesus returns. And that's what the book of Revelation is all about. It's kind of this mysterious book, but it's about the return of Christ. And no matter what way you look at the book of Revelation, you can see that it's not pleasant for those that follow Jesus. That, that those that trust in Jesus will, will kind of go through a time of testing and suffering and trial. And Jesus is saying, are you willing to, to pray that, that you will submit to my will even if it hurts, even if it's tough? But there's also kind of a, a, a good news or a kind of an encouraging note in this because it also says your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, God's will is perfectly done in heaven. There's no sin. There's no war. There's no violence. There's no suffering. And so in one way, we're praying to God, God, would your will be done even if it hurts or even if it's the most incredible thing ever? Blessed be your name. No matter if it's suffering or if it's a joy-filled time. In prayer, we approach God as our Father, and we submit to our Father's plans. And we also depend on our Father. This, this kind of idea is raised again in verse 11. It says, give us today our daily bread. It's like asking God, say, God, would you provide for my daily needs? Now, I do think this, this part applies to you personally uh, in, in a very real way. I, I, I've Many, many times where I'm like, I don't have a lunch today, Lord. I'm going to work, but I, you know, would you provide for a lunch? And somehow it works. Uh, God will provide a lunch some way. Maybe it's going out and getting lunch with someone or uh, someone brings in some extra food. You can pray for like the simple things, the everyday things. You lose your car keys. That's okay to pray to God that you would find them. But you can also approach him with those serious things that we interceded for uh, each other in the service. The, the friends that are sick, 
our family members that are sick, when we're sick or we're out of a job, you can lift these requests up before God because God cares about these because our God is a father who cares about his children. God cares about all these things. But remember, this also applies corporately to us. See, we as a church body approach God and say, here's our needs, God. We want to meet our budget, God. That's okay to pray for that. We want to make an impact on the Westford community. We want to serve our town. We can pray for that. We want to have a wonderful worship service. We can pray for that. I pray for the sermon every single week. One of our core values is prayer. We invite God to work in our lives, church, and town. This is on the website. Uh, It's kind of one of our, our founding statements. We believe so much in prayer that we're actually starting the cornerstone prayer chain. Uh, So this is a way, uh, the first week we talked about community, and we launched small groups, and the second week we talked about Bible, and also kind of that launch of small groups. Now we're talking about prayer. If there's a way that you want to get involved in prayer at Cornerstone, it's with the Cornerstone prayer chain. This is uh, a way that we can pray for each other's needs, primarily through email. Uh, So on the website, you can go and you can submit your prayer request, uh, and then this request will go to Karen Tang, who gave her faith story, and then she will send this out to everyone that's on the email list so that together we can all pray for the needs of the church body. If you want to be on this list, on the prayer chain, please go back to the the table in the foyer after the service. Write down your name. Write down your email. Uh, We've sent out some early prayer chain uh, kind of email blasts, but we want to make sure that everyone's who's on this chain, wants to be there. So please go and sign up uh, because prayer is such an important thing. We can lift each other's needs up before God. So in prayer, we approach God as our Father. We submit to his plans and we depend on him. We don't pray impersonally. We pray relationally. But if we're born broken in sin, if you and I are tainted by, by disobedience to God, and God is perfectly holy. You know, we talked about hallowed be your name. God, your name is perfectly holy. How can someone like me, who is unholy, go into God's presence? That leads us into verses 12 through 15, which really teach us that we don't pray perfectly. We pray in him. We don't pray perfectly. We pray in him. Verses 12 through 15 say this. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is kind of the most challenging part of our passage because it really reminds us that none of us can pray perfectly. None of us approach God the right way. Verse 12 says, forgive us our debts. Another way of saying debts is sins. What is a debt? It's something that we owe God. That's what a sin is. A debt is owing someone something, and a sin is owing God something. And we're, we're asking God, God, cancel my sin. See, we owe God everything. That's kind of hard for us to imagine Uh, just due to our independence and, uh, you know, maybe personal property rights. But uh, we owe God everything. He is perfectly good. He's perfectly holy. He's perfectly just. He created everything. That means you and me, whether we trust in him or not, belong to God. 
And whenever we uh, disobey him, we're just incurring more and more and more debt. And notice that when we do, God, God calls us to live rightly, to, to, to obey him, to not sin. But when we do incur sin, like we are incurring more debt. But when you live the right way and you're like, man, I got through today and I, I was good, which I don't think anyone can do because uh, sin is so deep. But when you live the right way, you're not, you're not reducing your debt level because you're supposed to live that way. You're just doing what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be good. You don't get any reward for going through your day and doing your good deeds because God created us to live that way. That's kind of a raw deal. You only incur debt for the sins and you don't get any credit for what we do right. So how can we fix the situation? How can we fix the problem? Our passage teaches us that we need to come before God and say, God, would you cancel my debt? Would you cancel my sin? And this is what gives us the, the strength. When, when we come before God and ask God to forgive us, and he does, this is what gives us the strength to go and forgive others. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. See, we're not meriting forgiveness through forgiving other people. God is saying, I'm changing you from the inside out, and this naturally is going to allow you to go and forgive other people. See, we don't pray perfectly. We pray in him. We pray in Jesus. This is how we approach God. The prayer ends, Jesus ends the prayer by, by teaching his followers to... Uh, to Ask God to lead them away from temptation and to deliver them from the evil one. And I think that's really interesting because Jesus not only teaches the Lord's Prayer, he actually accomplishes the Lord's Prayer for us. So everything that we've been reading, you think it's, it's just a method on, on how we should approach God, how we should talk to God, but it's also, in its final form, a record of everything Jesus has done on our behalf. See, Jesus, he went through temptation. He went through sin without ever giving in. Jesus defeated the evil one. He defeated Satan. He defeated death through the cross. Jesus never prayed pridefully or did things for the praise of others. He knew how much to pray and guess what? If you trust in Jesus, you get all of that on your record. That's right. So we go back to our sin record where you just incur more and more and more debt. The only way that that can be forgiven is if someone else pays for it. And Jesus did because he lived his life perfectly. So he brings that debt all the way back down. But if you were just let debt free, then that wouldn't do you any good because you need all that Jesus has done for you. You need all the righteousness, all the good deeds, all the, all the things that Christ has done on our behalf, credited to your account. This is what grace is. See, if you trust in Jesus, uh, Jesus removes every single dark sin and every single dark corner of your life, and he steps into those dark corners. And now since you have been forgiven of all that sin, you are now uh, good enough to step into God's presence. 
You're now holy enough to approach God with your simple requests to find your car keys because you're doing it with Christ, because you're doing it the right way. We've been, uh, our introduction to Jesus class, we're almost done. Our last meeting is, is this Tuesday. And this last week, there was a line that I think really summed this kind of point up of what grace is. We're talking about grace. And the line was, we're far more sinful than we ever realized, but we're far more loved than we know. See, when we realize how much God has forgiven us for, see, God knows you completely. He knows you perfectly. He knows you from the inside out and he's willing to love you, when you realize how much God has forgiven you of, that gives you the strength to look at other people, no matter how much they've hurt you, and say, because my Father forgave me, I can forgive you. We don't pray perfectly. We pray in him. We pray in Jesus. So how does this kind of apply to you? What's the the main point that you can take home? Just these three simple words. Pray in him. Pray in him. If you you came the last two weeks, you know we went through community and Bible. And both those weeks we learned that we really form community as a church around Christ. And as we read the Bible, we really look for Christ in every single page. It points forward to him. It points backward to him. And you know what? Prayer is no different. Prayer is also all about Christ, that we can approach God because of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. See, the Lord's prayer is really summed up in this idea. Approach God as Jesus Christ. That's kind of the summary of the Lord's Prayer. Approach God as Jesus Christ. Because if you approach God remembering what Christ has done for you, you will naturally not approach God pridefully. You will naturally not pray in order to impress others because your prayers are all about Jesus and what he has done. If you pray in Christ, you will not approach God trying to control every single little life circumstance because you will remember God worked it all out through Christ on the cross. God has a perfect plan and you can trust that plan. And in Christ, we can approach God as our Father. Jesus prayed to his Father all the time and you can pray that exact same way, that it's relationally built, that it's strong. In Luke chapter 11, we see the alternate kind of uh, version of the Lord's Prayer. And his disciples were watching Jesus pray, and they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray like you pray. And Jesus says, okay, I will teach you how to pray like I pray to the Father. You can have this same ability. You can have this same access to my Father, who happens to be the Lord of the universe. This church is an answer to prayer. I know there were many people uh, who were praying that that a new church would start in Westford, whether it's the Tangs who live right down the street, and they would drive by and say, Lord, would you start a church there? Or maybe it was our denomination, the Four Cs, who who knew about uh, kind of Westford Bible Church and uh, that it wasn't very big and that it, it could be restarted. And they were praying for us. I know many people in Westford were praying for us. I was praying for us. This place has been prayed for so much. Let's continue that. Let's make this place a house of prayer, a place where we can draw together and approach God. 
And how can we approach God? We can approach God just as Jesus Christ approaches him. Remember, so some of you that like really know your Bibles, you know that Jesus, after he died and rose again from the grave, he, he ascended into heaven. And Jesus is now like physically, bodily seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That is certainly a place of authority, but it's also a place of relationship. You know what the Bible also tells us? The Bible also tells us that we are seated in Christ in the heavenly realms. That means if you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you spiritually are seated at the very right hand of God right now. And you can turn to your Father and pray. I think that's why they call prayer talking to God. Pray in Him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can approach you as your son, Christ Jesus, did all throughout his life. And that the victory he won for us on the cross is far greater than never going to hell. It's a relationship that we can begin today and enjoy for all eternity. Lord, give us all hearts that desire to pray So it's not a task, it's not a chore, but it's an opportunity to get to know you better. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name, amen.